Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they, tried out, they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Almighty Father, uh, in our uh, reading, Jesus uh, looks at the disciples who have just had, um, who were really, really frightened, and he says, um, Oh, you have little faith, why do you doubt? Um, uh, we have little faith. And we doubt all the time. Uh, will you do in us what you were doing in those disciples? Will you fortify, clarify, make robust uh, the little faith we have that it might, that we might um, really trust you for real? Not just in word, but in every aspect of who we are. Teach us to trust you and teach us what that means. And so will you teach us now by your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat and uh, please turn back to page 9, uh, the gospel reading, that uh, excerpt from uh, the gospel of Matthew chapter 14. This is a super famous um, reading. It's the reading of Jesus walking on the water. It's the story of Peter kind of walking on the water, um, and it gives us an opportunity to ask this question. What do we mean uh, when we talk about faith? So th this is a story where the disciples um, start out from in, in great fear, and they move from fear to faith, or at least through this kind of traumatic experience, they, the, the needle shifts substantially from fear towards faith, and they shift from being deeply frightened by the storm, and for good reason, to be deeply frightened by Jesus walking on the water, but then finally at the end they're deeply captivated by Jesus. And, and we want to kind of trace that movement through, and it gives us, as I said, a chance to get clear about what we mean by faith. Now, why is that an important question for us, for us to ask? Well, if you've been around church for any length of time, you'll know that Christians talk about the word faith a great deal. Faith, or belief, or believing in Jesus, or something like that. And, and one of the things that we say, I hope you've heard this a lot, is that salvation is by faith alone. Uh, part of the 
part of what that means is that everything that God wants to give us, everything that all of God's very, very best gifts come to us, uh, not because we're very well behaved or not because we tick all the right boxes or whatever the case, but all of them come to us through uh, faith, through trusting in him. Faith is hugely important for Christianity. If you have it, all the really good stuff that lasts forever is yours. If you don't, you miss all the really good stuff that lasts forever. But here's the problem with the word faith. The problem with the word faith is that it's kind of slippery. Meaning, people use the word and often mean very different things by the same word. So for instance, sometimes when we talk about faith, uh, some, somebody might mean just merely intellectual agreement with a set of ideas, religious ideas. Just agreeing with, uh, say, the creed we just said. Just agreeing with all of those statements. And that's merely faith for some people. That's what they mean. Whereas for other people, faith, if they talk about having faith, they mean mainly believing, for instance, in myself. Kind of a personal optimism, um, positive thinking, something like that. Now, right away, you can see that those are very different ideas. But then on the other hand, uh, for some, being, uh, having faith means like canceling out rational, logical thinking. And so for some, to have faith is another way of saying to be gullible. And we certainly don't want that. That's intellectually irresponsible, and it's just, it's just deeply dangerous. So what do we mean by faith? Now in this story, what happens is Jesus orchestrates events so that uh, his disciples are forced to move, to kind of confront their false ideas about faith and to discover the real thing. And it ends up that the faith that Jesus wants to bring us to is something that's, that's both unexpected and deeply beautiful. So come with me into the story. Take a look at it. Um, a little bit of context here. If you read just before this excerpt, you find out that Jesus has had a really big day. Uh, Jesus has spent his whole day uh, teaching people, healing people. 5,000, over 5,000 people were fed uh, that day. Jesus is exhausted. His disciples are exhausted. And so he tells the big crowd to go home, and he sends his disciples out on kind of a red-eye boat cruise sail across uh, this big lake called the Sea of Galilee. Not a sea, big lake, but there you go. And while they're taking the red eye, uh, they're sailing across through the middle of the night, Jesus uh, has some alone time. He goes up on a mountain to pray. And that's the moment when everything starts kicking off. Because what happens is the boat in the middle of the lake comes across a storm, or better, the storm comes across the boat. Now, a bunch of Jesus' disciples were fishermen, right? They, and they knew this lake in particular really, really well. And therefore, sailing and navigating across this lake was part of their area of particular expertise. So if there's anybody who is well-equipped to deal with this storm, big as it was, it would be these guys. However, this is a storm that just starts kicking them in the teeth. Look at verse 24. You see the word, uh, it says that they were beaten by the waves. Uh, that word beaten means to be uh, harassed or tortured. It means to be beat up in a way that causes suffering. 
And the point is, here are these expert sailors, and they're just getting pummeled by this storm. And you've got to begin to feel the sting that this had to be for them. These are expert sailors being deeply, deeply defeated in their area of expertise. Well, let me say it differently. The storm was drowning their faith in themselves. Now, let's think about this for a second. Um, everybody knows that a healthy degree of self-confidence is a healthy thing, is a good thing, right? Um, you, you can't get very far in life if you don't have some degree of self-confidence. However, there's a danger. Because many of us are tempted, maybe without even saying it out loud, though some of us would say it out loud, many of us are tempted to place our deepest confidence in our area, just in our own competence in whatever area of life. And I will be particularly tempted to put my deepest confidence in my competence if I've experienced a little bit of success or I have a, if I have a little bit of expertise in one area or another. And if I have a little bit of expertise in a particular field, I'll be tempted to say, Jim, you'll be okay in life and everything's going to be okay because I'm vaguely or substantially competent in this sphere. I'm, I'm reasonably competent in my career. I'm reasonably competent, I'm like smart or something, or I'm reasonably competent in family life or whatever the case may be. I'm competent in this area. And as long as I can hold control in this area, then everything's going to be okay so I can breathe a, a sigh of relief. Now, many of us wish we had that kind of confidence and we don't. Uh, all of us, however, are surrounded, am I wrong? We're surrounded by messages that say something like, uh, belief in yourself is the most important indicator for success in life. Do you believe in yourself? But here's the problem, and the problem is, if my deepest bedrock faith is in myself, that, that sounds really good from a distance, but it does not end well. And the reason it doesn't end well is that when things, uh, if, if I succeed, and I'm actually, life goes well, and I'm very, very confident, then I will end up often very arrogant. Because I'll look at myself and I say, hey, I, I pulled this off on my own strength, and I'm amazing. And by the way, the folks who don't pull it off, uh, they're, it's because they're just incompetent. And I'll think highly of me, and I'll think low, little of other people around me. I'll be arrogant. Or, on the other hand, if things go badly and I fail, I'll be profoundly frightened and insecure, and I'll hate myself. I'll hate myself. Because you just couldn't pull it off, could you? And that explains why this storm is a gift. Why? This storm beats the sailors in their area of expertise, and this storm denies them the opportunity to rely upon themselves, and it brings, it, it, it gives them a taste of failure in their area of greatest competence, and therefore they can no longer trust in themselves. And may, that may not sound like a gift, but friends, everything in me wants to believe uh, that I can save myself, that I can pull off what I need to pull off in order to have a great life. Um, 
but that will destroy me if I believe it for too long. And therefore, friends, Jesus in his kindness, he uses the storm. You could call it the storm of life if you want. He uses the storm to shock me out of my naivete in that area and to persuade me and to show me that I need something bigger than me to save me. And that might not sound like kindness. That may sound like cruelty. But if it does, keep reading. Look at, go back to the story. So it's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. The disciples are getting nowhere. And then they look out and they see Jesus walking on the water. And they scream. They're terrified. Of course they were. And by the way, if you find this difficult to believe that Jesus walked on the water, great, you're in the boat with the disciples because they couldn't believe it either. Okay? So we're all, we're all in the same boat, so to speak. And in the midst of their terror, Jesus speaks. Look at verse 27. He says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, there's a lot going on there, so stick with me for just a second. In the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, uh, whenever you have stories about Israel and the sea, typically two things are going on. On the one hand, usually in these stories, Israel finds out that they cannot save themselves. And the second thing that usually happens is that the Lord, God, breaks into the story unexpectedly and rescues Israel. So a really obvious example is the Red Sea. Do you remember the Red Sea? Uh, Israel is trying to escape from Egypt. Uh, they've got, and they're pinned down, they've got the Egyptian army behind them that want to kill them. They've got the Red Sea in front of them, and they don't have any boats, and so if they go into the Red Sea, they're going to be drowned. So they're going to be killed by the sword, or they're going to be drowned in the sea, and that's their terrible situation. And then in the middle of that, Moses, the leader of Israel, gets up and he says, stop screaming, um, don't be afraid, watch how the Lord is going to unexpectedly save us. And in that moment, the Red Sea parts, they pass through it, and then it unparts on the uh, uh, Egyptians, and that ha that's how Israel gets its independence. They find out that they cannot save themselves, and then the Lord breaks in and saves them in a way that they couldn't pull off on their own. Or you could look at the, our first reading uh, from Jonah. Uh, you remember the story of Jonah. Jonah doesn't want anything to do with the Lord. He's grown up, so to speak, in church in Israel. And he's like, I'm out. I'm sick of this. Um, I'm, I'm running away from God. And so he gets on a ship and he sails. He's somewhere in the middle of the uh, Mediterranean because he thinks he can travel across the sea and get away from God. And then a, ch a storm chases him down. He gets thrown overboard. He gets swallowed by a fish. That seems bad, yes? And in the middle of the fish, he's disabused from the idea that he can rescue himself. And then he prays this prayer, and the main point of the prayer, you can go back and read it again, but the main point of the prayer is, wow, I've learned that I cannot save myself, and yet this is precisely where I meet the Lord, maybe for the first time. It's the same lesson that Israel was learning at the Red Sea, and it's the same lesson that the disciples are learning here. I can't save myself, but that's precisely the moment when I meet the Lord for real. Now, keep that in your mind. Go back to the story. Do you see where Jesus says, it is I? In Greek, Jesus uses two words, I am. Which in one way is just a way of Jesus saying, hey, check it out. It's me. I'm not a ghost. It's for real me. But in another way, 
it means something deeper. Because in the Old Testament, when God introduces himself to Moses, he introduces himself by saying, hey, from now on, call me, here it is, I am. That's my name, which is an odd name. But all the disciples knew that story. And so here, when Jesus says, don't worry, I am is here. While at the same time, walking on the water as if he could control it. While at the same time, saving Israel from something from which they could not save themselves. All of that together in the minds of the disciples become, begins to become clear that Jesus is saying, I am the God of the Old Testament shown up in person, and I'm the one who can save you from which you cannot save yourself. And that's the turning point of the story. Because that's the moment when true faith starts happening. And you can see it in Peter. Take a look at verse 28. And Peter answered Jesus saying, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And, and Jesus said, come. So Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water and came to Jesus. Peter is cheeky, isn't he? He's cheeky. He's bold. And I love the fact that Jesus is up for it. He's like, all right, come on. But I want you to see something. Peter does not walk on the water because he has remarkable self-confidence. Peter is not walking on the water because he's taking a, this daring leap of faith as if he's turning off reason and just throwing himself into silliness. That's not what he's doing. He walks on the water because he's trusting Jesus. Jesus had just said, I am is here. And therefore, Peter says, okay, if you say so, Jesus, now I'm going to trust you with everything, and I'm going to walk on the water because you said so. And that's faith. Christian faith is trust in Jesus because of what Jesus says about himself. Slow down with me and just consider that for a second. Trust, true faith is trust in Jesus. It is not trust in myself. It is not trust in the universe in a kind of general sort of way. It's not even trusting in some idea that I vaguely call God. Christian faith is way more specific than that. Christian faith is always specific personal trust in Jesus Christ. The Jewish man who's 2,000 years old, who came from Palestine, who claimed to be the God of the Old Testament in person, who died on the cross and rose three days later. It's trust in that guy. And here's why that's so terribly important. Faith is only a good thing when the object of your faith is reliable. Uh, let me tell you a story. So in college, um, first Thanksgiving, I was in college, freshman year. Um, I went to hang out with a friend in Minnesota. And I had never seen a frozen lake before because I was from California. And water is always wet and liquid there. Um, and so I, I get to Minnesota, and I had heard that you can, like, drive trucks across the lakes in Minnesota. So we, it's the middle of the night. We get to uh, his family's house, and there's a lake behind it. And so I, I go running out because I wanted to walk on the water. I went running out on the frozen lake. And I got about, I don't know, 30 feet out. And, uh, and my, my friend starts yelling at me, saying, stop, get down. Now, I was running out very boldly upon the, on 
the ice because I had faith in the ice. But my friend started yelling at me because he knew better. And he knew that about 20 feet beyond where I was was open water. I couldn't see it, but it was there. Now, my faith in the ice was stupid because it was too thin. I had a lot of faith, but it was stupid faith. When my friend started yelling at me, at some point my faith shifted from the ice to my friend. That was a better faith. And he told me to get down on my belly, which was odd, and to kind of scooch myself back to shore. And I did, and everything was fine. Okay, faith is only as good as the object of your faith. Faith is only a good thing if the object of your faith is reliable. The ice wasn't. My friend was. What do you place your faith in? And this explains why Peter sinks. Go back to the story. Uh, Peter is walking on the water, because when you trust Jesus, you always obey what he says. It's, they're always correlated. But then it all goes sideways for Peter. And it goes sideways because he starts looking from Jesus, and he starts looking at the water and at the waves. And in that moment, what happened is this. His trust in Jesus, which got him out of the boat, was eclipsed by something that he feared greatly, which was the storm. The storm begins to dominate Peter's attention. It begins to dominate his heart. And Jesus recedes from view. True faith is always a laser-focused trust on Jesus. But when Jesus gets eclipsed, fear breaks forth and Peter begins to sink. And it's as if there was a, 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 a struggle within his mind, Peter's mind. He goes, do I trust Jesus or do I trust the storm? Which one? Jesus uses the word doubt later on. Why'd you doubt? The word doubt means to be double-minded, uh, to kind of be caught between two options, so to speak, and be unsure. And that's Peter's struggle here. Who is the strongest character in the story? Is it the storm or is it Jesus? Who's the loudest voice in Peter's mind? Is it Jesus or is it the storm? When he believes in Jesus, when Jesus is the loudest voice, then it leads to obedience, uh, boldness, walking on the water. When the storm is the loudest voice, it leads to fear and panic and sinking. Now, let's turn this on ourselves. One of the things that's very healthy to do is this. Interrogate your strongest fears. Interrogate your secret fears. The reason why I do that, I don't know what your fears are, but I bet you you do. bet you don't have to work too hard to find them. What, are, what do you fear the most? And I ask that question because often our most uh, 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 persistent, sometimes our secret fears, can be a clue to what it is we're really trusting for real. It's one thing to say the creed and to officially hold to all the orthodox doctrine. But at the same time, deep down, you're not really trusting Jesus. You're just scared to ever love and death of whatever it is you're terribly frightened you're going to lose or never gain. But you need to identify those because when those fears are the loudest thing in your life, it can show you what your bedrock faith is. And you need to learn that those bedrock faith that brings forth so much fear, that those are not reliable objects of your faith. And if we hold on to them, 
we're going to sink under the waves. And some of us can immediately identify with that because you, you, you know, life might be kicking you in the teeth right now. And if it's not kicking you in the teeth right now, give it time. But it's a wonderful thing. Did you hear that? It can be a great gift when life kicks you in the teeth. Why? Because that can be the moment, the precious moment, when you come to understand that you cannot save yourself, and that's precisely when God wants to introduce himself to you in a deeper way. You say, I already know God, but you don't know him as well as he wants you to know him. And he's going to bring you deeper through this experience. So when you interrogate those fears, recognize them for what they are. They're unreliable foundations of your heart faith, and then turn from them and back to Jesus. And that's what Peter does. Because Peter, as he's sinking down, he begins to, re he, he, in that moment, he remembers that Jesus had just said, I am. And as he's sinking down, he cries out and he says, Lord, save me. And when he says, Lord, save me, in that moment, just instantly, Jesus reaches down and grabs him by the hand and rips him back out of the water. He experiences the salvation that he cannot produce himself, but that only God can provide. He experiences in his particular individual experience what Israel had experienced at the Red Sea and what Jonah had experienced in the middle of the belly of the fish and what countless others had experienced over the course of walking with God through the ages. That is, when we're in the midst of it, and we're sinking down, and there's no hope left, and we cry out to the Lord, we find the Lord diving down into the midst of everything that can drown us forever to grasp us and rescue us. And it's as you feel the grip of Jesus Christ grabbing you and lifting you up out of everything that can destroy you forever, that's when you finally look into the face of Jesus and you find yourself known. And not only do you find yourself known, you find yourself knowing God, knowing God for the first time, or if you've already known him, seeing his beauty yet more beautifully and more clearly. And that's what Jesus wants to do in you. Do you know that? That's why Jesus came and died on the cross. Why did he go and die on the cross? Because he had to dive into everything that can destroy you forever. He had to dive into our sin. He had to dive into the horror of death. He had to dive into the horror of human suffering. He had to dive into all that can drown us forever so that he could be victorious over all of it. And when he rose again, he rose again with authority, not only to save somebody from the lake of Galilee, but to save us from everything that you're going through right now. And I wonder if you can hear Jesus's voice saying, do not be afraid. It is I and you say, I have almost no faith, I, 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 but I kind of wish I did. And if that's where you're at, it's a wonderful moment because this is where Jesus wants to meet you. And if you say, I, I have a little bit of faith, but it's a constant battle, rejoice. Feel that weakness. Leverage that weakness. Just like Peter leveraged the weakness of sinking down to cry out for mercy. If faith is a struggle, then ask Jesus to give you a faith that you cannot produce yourself. And if you say, I do have faith, but I want to grow deeper in it, and then look down at verse 33. 
when Peter gets back in the boat and Jesus gets back in the boat, everybody else in the boat looks at him, looks at the two of them and, and says, oh my goodness. And they say, truly, you are the son of God. And they begin to worship Jesus. Faith grows through worship. And, one of the, and when I say faith grows through worship, I don't just mean coming to church on Sundays. What I mean is learning to worship Jesus from the vantage point of all of your deepest and most secret fears. If you are, if I am deeply, deeply afraid of being found incompetent at some point in my life, then I need to find that fear and then look from the vantage point of that fear, look at Jesus and recognize him as the son of God and begin worshiping him from that vantage point. And Jesus will claim that part of my life to be a temple of worship for him. And I'll find myself found by Jesus there. And as you do that, and as I do that, we will grow and Jesus will even leverage our worst fears to become fuel for worshiping him. And we will find Jesus utterly, utterly sufficient. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.